water is fine. Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Rico and Satyar Shah here as the Canucks get ready for their home and season opener for the 2023-2024 National Hockey League season. We are in the Mobile Kintec studio and mobile at Park Casino, specifically at the BC Kitchen. So if you are heading down for the game or if you're looking for a place to watch the game tonight, this is pretty much the perfect spot. And, by the way, we do have $50 gift cards to give out to those who come by and say hello. If you use the uh, keyword opener. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. No? No, That's no, not no. what we're doing? What we're doing Satch is, is no, going no. rogue. So what we're doing is whoever gets here, we have three gift cards. Yeah. And we have a trivia trivia question. You have to come here and answer the question in person. And if you get it right, you get a gift card. Okay. And the question is, who is Dan Riccio's favorite Canuck? All right. Can't give the I answer mean, now. Don't say anything. It's a subjective answer, but I think those that listen to the show know the answer. Yeah, And you know what? I asked him before the show started who his favorite Canuck was. And I'm like, no, be <laughs> honest with me. And he's like, he, was, he thought it was weird why I was asking him what, what, what the favorite Canuck was. I wanted to spring this on you during the yes. show. So, yeah, if you come here and guess Dan Riccio's favorite Canuck, the first three to get the answer right, get a $50 gift card to the BC Kitchen here at Park. Uh, hint, he's uh, front and center in the uh, photo the Canucks tweeted just before the game, talking about their forwards. So, Well, technically, they're all front and center. I, I guess. <laughs> but... It should be fairly obvious to those that listen to the show, I would imagine. Uh, so, yes, we're here at Park Casino. Uh, come down, say hi if you are headed to the game. It's your pregame spot for the Vancouver Canucks. So, there's been so much about Connor Garland here, hasn't there? Yeah. In the last 24 hours. The story that uh, I would imagine nobody really wanted to have come out 24 hours before the season was opening, but... Nonetheless, it did. Yes. And here we are. I do want to say one thing about it. Maybe I was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, irresponsibly upset about it today. But the idea that Connor Garland didn't ask for a trade, that there was no formal trade request to me, it's, it's immaterial whether or not there was a formal trade request. It's out there and open that his agent is looking for teams to facilitate a trade with. So whether or not there's a formal trade request or not shouldn't really matter to anybody. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Breathe, reach. Breathe. That, that was yesterday's yeah, story. Exactly. Was, it was yesterday's story. I'm over it. You're good now? I'm, I'm good. Right. And what do we like to do on this show? We like to move the conversation forward. And that's what we'll do. So who are they trading for Connor Garland? <laughs> like, who are they getting for Connor Garland? I wish I knew, man. Now, I, I know the guy everybody, everybody kind of linked it to, and, and I think now that it's pretty obvious that both the team and the player are working together in, in cahoots. Yes. <laughs> They're working together to try to facilitate a trade to a new, new team. So with that being the case, I think it's open for discussion as what could a Garland trade look like. Now, I would preface all this by saying, the first game of the season is happening tonight, and we, we're going to talk about the game a ton. Don't worry. That's coming up. Yep. And about the season. But I think it really depends on where this team is going to be at at a certain point in the year before we start really looking at, okay, Garland trades that make sense because I think it's going to take a little bit of time here. But I would say it's very obvious what the Canucks need to improve more than anything else, 
And considering what they need up front, yep. does it make sense to make a Garland move that doesn't address your blue line in one way or another? Like, if you have to take something back, or if you have to eat some salary, aren't you doing that if you're getting something back that can help you defensively? I mean, there's a lot of things that I immediately have come to mind. I don't like the idea of going too far down that road. They've, like, they've already given up their second-round pick. They had to move an extra pick to get rid of Tanner Pearson. They moved a fifth-round pick to acquire Sam Lafferty. And I know I'm not as upset about all the draft pick moves that the Canucks have made as much as other people. Right. But you have to be careful about giving up too much draft capital, especially the good draft capital if you are the Vancouver Canucks. So I'm you need to be like there's definitely an area where this team is going to say or see potentially a player come available and say, we absolutely need this guy. But it has to be in the right circumstance. Yeah, and, and but I, I look at it as you also have to be realistic about the level of player you're looking at just for a swap for Garland. Yeah. If you want to get something better, then, well, we can, we can talk about what you may have to add into it. But I don't see a world where you're going to be able to offload Garland's contract without taking something back. Yeah. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Now, so, okay, because of Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts. Sure. The Canucks are peaking at defensemen. <laughs> Right? Everybody's peaking. They're peaking at something. Um, and people are putting two and two together. The Columbus Blue Jackets are looking to move a defenseman. Andrew Peak. Canucks are peaking. Okay, we get it. Is, is, is Andrew Peak on the Canucks' radar? Now, Peak is making, what, 275 for the next couple of years? Yeah. So it's. Three, two more years after this season. Connor Garland's at 495. Yeah. There's no world where Elliot Friedman tweets. Garland for peak, the deal is one for one. Because it just, I, it, it doesn't add up. I would imagine Columbus would want something extra. Columbus would want the Canucks to retain some salary so that maybe it kind of keeps them in the cap, closer to a cap neutral situation. But that's kind of the only scenario I can think of where the Canucks don't have to attach something it's more retaining salary rather than having to attach something big to acquire a defense. And this is where, you know, for me, it's not very interesting when I start looking at these potential trades. Right. You know, if you're doing even even for Andrew Peak, let's say it is a one-for-one -one deal and you retain even 500K or whatever it is, you do a small retention on it. How much better are you? And is it, is it worth for you to lock in to Andrew Peak on your blue line for two more years beyond this, and that's your addition to the defense, essentially. Like, when you start looking at the cap space beyond this year, too, like you got to be careful with how you add the money on. So I've been looking at this on the Canucks cap picture for next year, especially if the cap goes up to $87.7 million. Pretty much after you felt, let's say you sign Heronik and you sign Hughes, the Canucks, I mean, uh, Heronik and Pedersen, once you get and fill out your roster with guys like put Coles in even or whatever, or guys making league minimum, they're going to have roughly $9 million or so to spend on a couple of players. Yeah. So if you're spending 2.75 on peak and you're retaining some salary and that's going to be your addition to the blue line, for me, that's not interesting. Yeah. So that's why I, I, I'm looking at it and saying, aren't you better off getting bold here 
Because the options that are that are in front of you are like bad contract for bad contract. You okay, know what how, I mean? How bold are we talking about? Here, okay, like, what would there's it, only so many right shot defensemen that are out there and available around the league. Okay, anyhow. well there's one in Carolina who hasn't signed yet, Brett Pesce, for instance. Okay, Brett Pesce, I like Brett Pesce. Okay, let me throw this hypothetical out here, right? And and for me, like, for me to feel good about even making this a consideration, like I prefaced to begin this segment this team has to have success. Like, they have to look like they're a competent hockey team, right? And if you threw 20, 25, 30 games and you look competent, then I wouldn't be against the idea of if you can move Garland and a pick, the first-round pick, whether it's this pick or one down the road, and yeah. you can get Pesce or that type of player back and sign him to an extension, and you sign another righty defenseman, and all of a sudden you have Hrona, Hughes, and, and Pesce, for instance. Like, I'm not against doing something along those lines. Like, to me, I'd rather do something like that than make an L trade on Garland, for instance, and maybe that's not even available to you, but I'd rather explore that than look at, let's just take a crappy player back in return and try to make it work. Is Andrew Peak that bad? I don't even know if he's that bad, but is he that good? He's 25, 6'3", 210. Yeah, but they have enough of those guys. In this. They, they signed Susie to two yeah. more years like that. Like, they still need guys that can move the puck and be really high-end defensively. Like, just Hronik and Hughes isn't enough. You can't have Hronik, Hughes, guys like Susie and Peak to fill out your top four. And you're going to be spending like over $3 million on Susie and Peak together. You're spending, what, $6 million on those two guys combined, right? So, so you're going to spend $6 million on those guys? Yeah, That's like, yeah. like you'd rather do that okay. or just go get one good player. I, I get your logic here. But giving up a first-round pick? I mean, like, at this stage where there's teams at, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm all for keeping picks, but for a player that can be a top-four defenseman for you, for the next five or six years, like that's your window now. You have you have Miller signed for eight yeah. years, right? You have Pedersen and Hughes. You're trying to sign Hughes. You have Demko for two more years beyond this. If this team is for real, are you full in or are you going with a half measure? Because so far this year, this team made a full measure move by buying out OEL, but everything else has kind of been a hedge move, hasn't it? Yeah. So when you do see something that works, and let's say it does work, why wouldn't you actually make the team better instead of making these sideways types of moves that just kind of fill the edges of your roster? So in your scenario... Canucks move, and, and Carolina is a, a team that has shown interest in Connor Garland in the past, so that's why this is, is, a, is a real conversation. But in this scenario, the Canucks are off to a pretty good start this season? Yes. Well, they have to show that they're a good hockey team. They're comfortably in a playoff position? Yeah, I mean, I mean comfortably in a playoff position. We're talking 20, 30 games in. How, how comfortable can you be in a playoff position? But they're in a playoff position. Yeah, they're in a playoff. They, they look like a good team. They look like a team that looks pretty good, and if they, were, if they got a top-four defenseman all of a sudden, maybe you're, you're cooking with something. And how are you getting a top-four defenseman? Like, well, Landers going to take some time. Yeah. Right? Here's the thing. They've already given up their second-round pick for this year. Yeah. They don't have a fifth-round pick, which is whatever. It's a fifth-round pick. But you don't have a second-round pick already. To give up your first-round pick on top of that for a team with as barren a prospect pool as the Canucks have, even though I like some of the things that they've done to fill out some of the depth of their prospect pool, they don't have high-end players in the prospect pool outside of Tom Willander and Jonathan Lekaramaki. So... I have a real hard time giving up the first-round pick, even for a player like Brett Pesha, because here's the thing. You give up, and, and you now commit to Philip Peronik. You commit to Brett Pesha. It's like, all right, you're locked into this team, and is it really a cup contender with the core that you have here? Well, I think that's why 
So let's say Miller and Pedersen both like that top six works, and Hughes and Hronik look good. Aren't you a top four defenseman away from being pretty good? It, th- my my whole logic. I'd comes say back a top to four defenseman and another top six forward. Still. For sure, yeah. But I mean, like you add a top four defenseman, now you're a top six forward away. Yeah. All of a sudden, you cut that in half. Now you're one player. You're, you're going to have to find the star level players one way or another, right? And as much as you know, I love these, you know, the draft picks and you know the late round picks or whatever, and these prospects they sign. None of these guys are going to be superstars for this team or like legitimate top four guys. Maybe Hirose down the road potentially. I and mean, if he is, like that solves a huge thing for you. But he's a lefty. You still need righties. Well, yeah. Anders still, you know, a couple years away and everything, right? And to me, if you're able to get a righty defenseman, and, and let's not let's say it's not Pesce, for instance. Let's say it's somebody else. Just somebody who is a good top four righty defenseman was available. You should be in on it if that team is actually interested in taking a Garland guy off your hands if you're adding a pick and a prospect into that potentially because then if you get a righty defenseman you can move Myers at the deadline what do you what do you get back for him a second or a third yeah I look at doing those things I I look at trading away a couple of guys like that that are expiring and recoup some picks there do you get a second and a third back potentially by the end of the deadline I don't have anybody you'd get a first for no but do you get a second and a third potentially somewhere from depending on where you move but in this scenario where they acquire Brett Pesce in season why not just see how it plays out then? Well, I mean, right defenseman, you mean like get if, to if free agency? If you're feeling pretty good and you, know, you add Pesha, now you can really have a pretty solid decor. Myers would be bumped down to your third pair. You know, that, that's, that's where it kind of gets convoluted. And maybe we're going too far down the hypothetical road. But it's – I see your point. It's just with where this team is – of course you're squeamish about giving up a first-round no, pick. I understand. But, I, I mean, like, if again, I don't but do it. But Garland's not doing much for you. He's not. He and wants he's out. he's not going to do much for you for the next few years, then now you've sort of just outchanged Garland's cap hit over the next three seasons with whatever Brett Pesci is going to be paid on top of it. Yeah, and even if you retain a little bit on Garland still, like you're you're still paying off the salary, you're going to be able to play the other guy. And you have a bit more flexibility. So, because, you know what? You know what, what you can find in free agency? Good forwards. Yeah. You can't find good defensemen. It's very hard to find good defensemen. Severson never got there this year. No. And the guys who got there, here's how much money Ryan Graves got, for instance. And he's a lefty, but pretty good, not great. Like, it's going to be very hard for you to land those guys one way or another anyways. And I think if you're looking at moving Garland Justin out or whatever, yeah, and more money than again, like somebody texted and I can't believe why you guys spend so much time on peak. And that's the whole point. We shouldn't be talking about Andrew peak. Like yeah. who cares? Like if you're going to be moving Garland, do something meaningful. Uh, this Pesha isn't the star level D to trade that pick for, but I'm all for Garland and the pick for a good D it's, yeah, okay, Brett Pesce. And my point for Pesce, that's just an example. He's available potentially. He's a, he's a pending unrestricted yeah. free agent and could be on the trade market this year. For sure. You like somebody better? Great. Name the name. Uh, Carolina might just be willing to play it out with him like they did with Dougie Hamilton a couple of years ago and yeah. see how far they go in the playoffs, whatever that might look like for them. Is it worth keeping him if you win a cup? Probably. Yeah. Right, so Carolina might look to keep him anyways, but it's more just a reference point of – is this team in a window where they should be willing to trade their first-round pick? They traded a first-round pick last year to get Philip Aronik, but it was a surplus first-round pick. They weren't in the business of trading their own first-round pick last year. Does that conversation change? This year is more the question I believe you're posing here, Sat. Yeah, and that's the thing for, for me, right? Like, I'm, I'm not... 
I'm not for just trading away picks, and I get it. But at some point, you also have to look at where you are and make a commitment to which direction you're taking as a team. Yeah. You know, and, and I think doing the half measure thing doesn't help. And that's why sometimes we, we talk about the rebuild on the fly doesn't work because you can't do both things at the same time. You have to commit to a direction. You have to commit to where you're going. And if you look at the window with the players right. that you have, yeah, and if you look at the players that you have on this team right now and you look at their window here to win, it's the next five years. You know, and, and then after that, maybe once you get past that, there's another window that can open up with some guys coming through, whatever it is. But you look at the next five years, you have Miller. Like, Miller is such an integral part of this team. How many years can you wait before he ages out or ages towards a point where it's like, okay, it doesn't make sense for, you know, for him to be a keystone player on his team anymore? This is the commitment they've made. Yeah. I think you're kind of convincing me a little bit here. It's not all that crazy. When you first broach the idea of trading a first-round draft choice, of course it's going to sound crazy. Yeah. But could the Canucks be in that window this year? Uh, a couple of texts coming in. Garland in a first for Devin Taves. Don't sure. Th don't think uh, Colorado is going to be trading Devin Taves anytime soon. I don't think so. Uh, but I'm here for at least uh, trying to acquire Devin Taves. 100%. If he gets a free agency, maybe you have an inside edge because he is from these parts, right? Like maybe. This person says, why not wait and sign Pesci in free agency? If it was that easy, you'd sign every player. And the reality is these guys don't get the free agency very often. I mentioned do, David Sievers. Like, I, I guarantee you that if, even if Pesci stays with Carolina yeah. and they win a Stanley Cup even and they're yeah. not going to re-sign him, they're going to trade his rights. And they're going to trade his rights, and the team that gets him is going to sign him. They'll probably give up a third-round pick for it. Now, maybe it's better for you to do that than give up the assets now, but even that's no guarantee. My point being, if a righty defense was available, even pending UFA, you're going to have to make a move to get that player one way or another. And if you're moving Garland, you're either taking back bad money or you're holding on to salary. So I'd rather trade that in a pick and something else, whatever, for an expiring contract and take the risk on it because – at least you get somebody back you can sign. Under no circumstance would I live in a world where the Canucks should trade their first-round draft choice for a rental this year. Right? The, the one thing I like about this idea from you, Sat, is you're getting a right-shot defenseman, and you're also moving out a cap commitment yeah. for the next three years. And maybe that's so like you're getting, possible. You're, maybe it isn't even possible, yeah. but at least in this scenario, you're getting dual value out of this first-round draft choice. You're getting a player back, an impact player back in return, and you're moving out the you're moving out a contract that's on the books for 100%, 100%. And Ryan says, when other teams talk about a window, it's an opportunity to win the Cup. Our window is just a hope to squeak in. It's pathetic. And I understand that point, but the Canucks are in a spot where they're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable. Like, this is where you're at. Like, we consider and bemoan the fact, or you pick a direction and you commit to it fully. Yeah. And I get waiting it a little bit because we don't know where this team's going to be at and let's see 20, 30 games in and see where they're at. But if you think this team is for real, commit. D don't do these edge moves. And, and I like that they've done so, but you're not going to – like, this team isn't good enough to just excel on the margins to take the next step. There's yeah. going to be there has to be some meaningful changes and, and improvements in big areas, and if they do, then maybe there's something that you can really do with on, with this team, right? Maybe you can actually realize the potential of some of these players. Well, in order to get an impact player, you've got to give up something, right? Whether it's uh, in free agency, you're giving up cap space, you're giving up cap dollars, you're, you're paying a big contract in trade to acquire somebody. 
it's going to cost prospects. It's going to cost first-round picks. It's going to cost roster players. That's how it works. If you're able to develop one, great. But, I mean, yeah, Cole McWard might be able to play in the NHL in the not-so-distant future. Is he going to develop into a big-time player? I mean, you'd love to see it. Odds are against him. Tom Willander, still a long way away to acquire a right-shot defenseman. So that's where this all becomes very difficult for the Vancouver Canucks. You have a short-ish window with Hughes and Demko, and also you have the pressure of keeping Elias Pettersson happy. So these are the pressures they are dealing with right now in order to improve this roster and make the most of what they have in the here and now with this team. 100%. And, I mean, to me it's just are you going to get better or are you going to have to rebuild the team? Like, to me, it's, it's only going to be one of those two team things, yeah. right? And if this team shows it's not it, you got to sell guys at the deadline. And then you have to really take a hard, long look at, can we actually keep Pedersen? What do we do here? It's going to take some real time. you got to be really patient. But I think it's time to really figure out which way you're going. And if you're actually signing Pedersen and keeping him, and you've already committed to players like JT Miller, and you have Demko for two more years beyond this, and Hughes four more years beyond this, like, you're going to have to get significantly better. Like th- this isn't going to be good enough yeah. to maximize the potential of what you have. And, and I think this can be a step in the right direction this season. I really do. Like You picked them to make the playoffs. I picked them to make the playoffs. Like I believe that this core can finally show, at least with guys like Patterson and even Miller and Demko and Hughes, I think they can show when, with a stable environment when you have like a proper third-line center and a fourth-line center and guys who can PK that they can show you something here. But we have to be realistic about their ceiling too and how do they expand their ceiling. And that's not going to be an easy thing to do. And you're going to have to do uncomfortable things to be able to raise that ceiling. A um, couple of texts coming in. I agree with that. I don't agree with how they got to the spot, but the team pretty much has to go all in the next few years. Or they'll just be forced into a rebuild. Hey, at some point they will be forced into a rebuild. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully it's not in the near future considering this team has been not very good for a very long period of time. Uh, the Canucks are beyond the point of no return. Just spend the pick as a sweetener, get rid of Garland, and grab a defenseman. If that fails, they'll need to get the team. They'll need to gut the team anyways, and at that point, they can recover any picks. Um, also, Raymond has Jim Benning infiltrated <laughs> you guys. LOL. I mean, I get it, right? But it's just like it's. We can sit here and talk hypothetically. Yep. Or we can be realistic about how this team's going to have to get better, right? And well, it, I think that's that's where you're at. The you, thing is, they aren't too many pieces away now, right? I mean, they've worked so hard to fill out the depth and fill out some, you know, let's fix the PK. Let's do some of these things. we got another top four defenseman now in Philip Peronic. They have stopgap players like an Ian Cole who played as a top yeah. four defenseman for a a cup contending team last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So they've brought in players and have found ways to upgrade this team on the margins, but the only thing that's going to bring them to being a cup contender is two more impact players. I think they need one in the forward group, and they still need one on defense. And you still have to figure out who your third-line center is long-term, right? But, you know, I'll be optimistic. I I like Atu Ratu a lot. I like Niels Oman too. Can, can one of those guys give you something where you don't have to dip into 
you know, the free agent market or the trade market to overspend on a third-line center? Because if you can get those answers, and I feel pretty good about the competency of the organization to find those players. Like you mentioned, they've done a good job doing that. So it's like it's about finding the key guys. I think they can get those guys on the cheap. They've shown that. Like, you can find a Teddy Bluger every year in free agency for cheap, right? You can find a Pia Suter type relatively yeah. cheap. Don't overspend on those players. Go find those guys cheaply and hopefully develop a few guys like you mentioned they are kind of showing. You can do those things. Now find those next-level players to help the team take that next step they need to take. Ethan is taking the long view. Seven years until they get Bedard when he's a UFA. <laughs> I'm all for it. To come home. Uh, this text, uh, the franchise is embarrassing, should have done what the Senators did, rebuilt properly, and now have a great roster and will probably make the playoffs. Uh, hey, Sen- we'll see if they make the playoffs. I, I have the Senators on the outside looking in, and I think you know there's criticisms about the way they've rebuilt the roster. They have yeah. some really good young pieces on the team right now, but they've spent most of their prospect capital to get where they are right now, and they still might be a team that's on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Yeah. So um, there's no guarantees even when you do the full-on rebuild in a way that the Senators did. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are at Park Casino ahead of the Canucks home opener and season opener. We're stationed up here at the BC Kitchen. And I got to say, I've eaten here a few times. The food's delicious. No, it's fantastic. I actually can't wait to start nibbling on some food here in a little bit. Uh, We're going to make Josh put an order in. uh, Come here for a date night. You know, it's always good to have a little bit of fun, you know, responsibly, of course, and play the slot machines, maybe get to a table for the night. But you do everything. You're having a little fun date night. You have all these great spots to eat, whether it's here at BC Kitchen, some of the other great restaurants on, uh, on campus here. It's, I mean... Park Casino, it's a great place for a date night, also a great night to pregame ahead of a Canucks game. I, I mean, we've been, been been here. I just walked by the Canucks corner. It's on level two. They have yep. the Canucks slot machines and the Canucks table games and stuff. And, I mean, I never get to actually enjoy this stuff pregame because we're always doing the pregame. But yep. I always kind of – I've come by. I know I talk to my partner sometimes about, like, it's a lot of fun being at park or you can play a couple slots like you mentioned, have a bite to eat and go watch a game. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I can't <laughs> enjoy the game day experience the same way. Uh, so, yes, pregame here at Park, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. You can pregame here. You can postgame here. It's a great spot to come before and after Vancouver Canucks games. And right now you can enjoy 15% off your food bill at Park's BC Kitchen, which is where we are stationed up right now. Show your Canucks game day ticket. Park Vancouver just one block away from Rogers Arena. And also, we do have $50 gift cards to give away. Three of them? Three. We have three. And I know a lot of people were answering the trivia question that Sat put out earlier on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. But you have to come to Park and the BC Kitchen, see us, yes. answer the trivia question, and then... First come, first serve. We have three to give away. You'll get $50 to spend here at Park in any which way you choose before the game here tonight. Yeah, and Dan Rachel's favorite Canuck. Who and, is it? Yeah, Dan? and I, I know the answer because I asked them, and we're going to stick by the answer you gave me. You can't change it all of a sudden, you know. Like, it is uh, who it is. For those, uh, <laughs> for those on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox that answered, many of you were correct. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say many. Many. Dozens of you were correct. 
Uh, all right. So check it out. Park Casino. Uh, we're here all the way up until puck drop tonight after 7 o'clock. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. You are listening to Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The place for you to pregame and postgame ahead of Canucks games. Uh, Park Casino, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks, just one block away from Rogers Arena. And again, uh, we're down here at BC Kitchen. We've got three $50 gift cards to give away to some lucky listeners. All you got to do is come down, say hello to us at the booth yeah. at BC Kitchen, and answer this trivia question, Sat. Who is Dan Riccio's favorite Vancouver Canuck? It's a very difficult question to answer. Yes. No, it's not. Just, but, I mean, like we said, first three. First three. And uh, if we're on air and can't, you know, ourselves yeah. talk to you, Josh will take it. So yeah. Josh is ready to, to greet you if we're on air, but hopefully you hang around as well. I know we've had a few, uh, Jeffro and some others already on it, that they are heading down to see us here at BC Kitchen on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox all right so the game is coming up tonight of course canucks and the edmonton oilers we're going to have uh, kevin woodley join us here in a few moments and he's our goalie guru one thing i was surprised about and it's the reason that sat faded the oilers is his cup pick Although you did have them as a finalist. I got them finalist, cup finalist, yeah. Questions in goal. I was surprised to see Jack Campbell is getting the start for the Oilers tonight, but it sort of highlights that, you know, they're probably going to be in a 1A, 1B, and whoever takes the job is going to probably get those playoff starts between Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner. Yeah, and it's not going to be, it's not very simple, you know, in terms of their goaltending. And, at some point, they're going to have to need their goalie to stand on their heads. And last year, they got a few good performances. You know, truth be told, for them to get to the point they got to. But as soon as Vegas was able to take advantage of them a bit, they just didn't have that, you know, that answer and goal to be able to offset some of their other issues. And I just don't know if they have that answer still. And that's where my concern comes in more than anything else for this Oilers team. And you know, if they do figure their goaltending out, I mean, I just don't know how you stop that team. Uh, let's bring in the goalie guru in goal magazine and nhl.com it is kevin woodley he joins us every wednesday here on canuck central uh, i was just saying how i was a little bit surprised to see jack campbell as uh, tonight's projected starter for the oilers uh, do you have the same feeling uh maybe a little less so based on the preseason he had i don't think this is you know a statement at all about where stewart skinner is i think this is just more rewarding what has clearly been an off-season of changes. I don't know how drastic they are, um, but Jack Campbell's put in the work. Uh, I talked with you guys, you know, a few weeks ago about, you know, I'd heard that he had reached out to some other coaches around sort of the goalie world about maybe getting some opinions and some voices, and um, his game looks a lot quieter through the preseason. The results have been there. 
you know, this is an Oilers team that I think a lot of goaltenders would like to play behind. I know the narrative is that they're a run-and-gun team, but the truth is, you know, pretty much since Jay Woodcroft took over, they're a pretty sound defensive team when it comes to what truly is high-danger scoring chances in today's NHL. Uh, they're, you know, they're in top five, depending on the time of year, top five, top ten in terms of preventing those. And so that's what you want as a goaltender, an element of predictability uh, and the ability to read off what's going off in front of you. And, and they give him that. And so he's quieted his game. He's made equipment changes. And if the results are there and he's on a roll, why would you do anything to disrupt that if you're the Edmonton Oilers? As Woodcroft said this morning, and I know it's, easy to dismiss it as a cliche you know the old if you you don't have a number one or if you got two number ones you don't have one Uh, but it's just the reality of today's NHL we've talked about split starts one A's one B's uh, and I like where they're set up in goal having Jack Campbell find some element of his previous form also makes this a lot easier on Stuart Skinner and I think a lot of people forget that as good as Skinner was last year and again I point to the environment, the the adjusted numbers weren't as flattering as the raw numbers, even as an all-star in the Western Conference. Uh, But um, Jack Campbell's presence at the beginning of the year, Stuart Skinner getting to come in there without expectations or pressure of being the guy. Like, I don't think he has that rookie season if those circumstances are different. So uh, is, is Campbell's contract still ideal? No. Um, but him finding that form makes this a lot more workable. And if you can get both guys up and going, it bodes well for, you know, hopefully both of them being rested heading into the postseason, regardless of who ends up being the guy. What's your outlook for this Oilers team this season? I mean, I, not a prognosticator, but, I mean, clearly they've set their sights on the next level, which is kind of, they're in Stanley Cup or bus mode, right? Yeah. So um, do you have... You know, like, you know, when that comes to goaltending, like, yeah, do you have a Vasilevsky or, like, one of these, like, legit top five star? Like, there's only so many of them, right? And right. so I think we saw it with Vegas last year. If you don't have that guy, then make sure you have some guy, like more mm-hmm. than one, multiple options. And I don't mind the two options they have. Uh, Kevin Woodley, our guest. So, Focusing on the uh, on the Canucks side of things, Woodley and uh, I, uh, we were doing some of our awards predictions yesterday, and you know, I'm not alone in thinking Thatcher Demko's got a chance at uh, having a pretty good season for the Vancouver Canucks and could be in the Vesna conversation. Um, but you know, in years past, the Canucks as a team sort of held him back from being in that conversation. Right? They weren't really good enough, and. Maybe his save percentages wouldn't be the highest, but he was saving a ton of pucks and high danger chances and all that. But could the Canucks have a good season? Having a good season as a team help Demko really be seen as one of the top five goalies in the league by the mainstream? Yeah, because the raw numbers are going to come up, right? Like, yeah, um, you know, two seasons ago the adjusted numbers were off the charts. I think if I top of my head, he finished sixth or seventh in adjusted save percentage, and yet. I don't know that people were casting him in that light around the league because the raw numbers were always going to be low just based on the environment. And so, you know, as we see that more predictable, Rick Taki talks about him only having to worry about one side of the ice and, you know, getting rid of those seam passes. My God, if the penalty kill is just, like, competent, um, how much easier that becomes. And I like the moves they've made. I've talked about Ian Cole, like, 
having guys that not only know what lane to be in on a penalty kill, but are willing to eat a puck while they're in there. Like that, that all sort of bodes well for Demko's opportunity to not feel like he has to do too much behind this team and to have that level of play maybe more reflected in the raw statistics that most people around the league pay attention to. And that's usually what it takes to, to get, you know, that type of recognition. Um, you know, even, you know, I laid out the case for UC Soros last year when you looked at the workload and the quality of chances that Nashville gave up. Like, if you have access to advanced numbers, there's, there's almost no way, like no way, to argue that he shouldn't have been second. The only guy who could make the case to push Linus Allmark for the Vesna last year, and he wasn't even a finalist. So, you know, the mainstream, and, and that includes general managers, like they need to see the raw numbers because they're, they're not, whether they're not willing or they're not capable or they don't have access to um, the right kind of data to truly measure goaltending performance, uh, they do pay attention to things like, obviously, wins, mm-hmm. um, but raw save percentage. And I like Demko's chances of having a better raw save percentage, you know, when he's not having to stop backdoor bullets in his teeth five, six, seven, eight, nine times a night. Well, and, and I think that's going to be the big part of it. I think it's going to be interesting this year that if they do hone in on their defensive game, they play the way they showed last year and build on that and you get better goaltending. Do we get to a point that the biggest question about this team becomes how they're going to generate offense potentially, whether it's scoring on the power play or five on five? Because you have access to numbers. You've been watching how the Canucks create chances and how that's changed. Do you think that can be an issue here for this team? Well, it wasn't so much last year, although the underlying defensive numbers under Tockett like crept into the edge of the top five in the league. Like that's yeah. how good they were five on five under him at clear sight, five on five high danger chances against, and they went from like bottom five in the league to top five. That's a big jump. Um, the the offensive numbers like they've always under this group relied on individual talent to outscore chance creation, if that makes sense. Like, they've Mm -hmm. always sort of outscored the quality of opportunities because they have finishers. They have guys like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and last year Andre Kuzmenko and JT Miller and, you know, when he's on, even a Brock Besser who can, you know, we haven't seen it as much in recent years, but there was a time when he beat goalies like Carey Price clean. And so there is that talent to sort of outperform shot creation don't have numbers from the preseason stats, so I can't look through clear sight and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of tell you what they did in the preseason and how that sort of measures up. But I think the eye test told you um, that, it, yeah, it looks like it might be a little tougher. Offense might be a little tougher to come by. Um, they're not interested in playing, you know, back and forth, run and gun. I, 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 you could make the argument entertaining hockey, uh, but frankly that type of hockey never works in terms of a getting into the playoffs rarely. And even if you do playing it, you're not going to be there for long. So um, I think these things are all necessary. And as we get through the first five, ten, I guess through this first road trip and six games and into, you know, I, I think it was – I had a goalie once tell me that you can't really judge things to 20 games in. I don't think mm-hmm. as, as, a, as an audience or as a media we're going to be that patient. But I'm looking <laughs> forward to seeing what those metrics look like five, five six games into the season and seeing is, you know, is that – a problem because through the preseason clearly you know it, it raised your eyebrows let's see what happens once the regular season starts you know i know we've talked about uh, jt miller a, a ton in the past and you know he's he's on it again about wanting to be a better 200 foot player and 
you know, be seen as a, as a more shut-down centerman when he can be. And if his points come down, as long as he's playing well defensively, he'll be happy with that. And we saw it towards the end of the year last year with, with Tockett where, you know, this Phil DiGiuseppe, JT Miller, and Brock Besser line were sort of the shutdown line for the team. I just I still wonder if it can work for 82 games with me. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll see, right? Like, so much of that is also what defensive pairing are you on the ice with? Like, how do you align those two things in terms of those matchups? Because as we know, you know, defense is never just about defensemen. It's about mm-hmm. five-man unit and how you're working with them. I think the fact that that's an option, um, we, we can talk about that being a feather in the cap of JT Miller, but also, like, don't forget Brock Besser, right? Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't that long ago that we – you know, he was talked about, I don't know if defensive liability is fair, but it wasn't considered a strength. So the fact right. that that's an option with him, you know, like like that's a feather in his cap as well, right? I think that gets overlooked a little bit as much as we always come into every season. Is this the year he gets to 30? Um, you know, I've liked some of his playmaking in the preseason. I think we lose track of the fact that this is now a guy that a coach like Rick Tockett feels he can at least consider for that type of role. Those are, those are positive developments for a player who's so often judged solely on what he does on the offensive end of the rink. And I don't know, I'm not going to say it doesn't get talked about as much, but I certainly don't think we talk about it a lot. No, I I think you're right about that. And I mean, it's, you're right. A lot of this team is wait and see, right? Five games in, 10 games, 15, 20 to get a better idea. And, and we'll revisit a lot of this stuff as the season goes on. Now, in terms of goaltending and how big of an, of, of an advantage that is for Vancouver potentially in the division and in the Western Conference in general, like for, from just a goaltending perspective, if the Canucks do play decently as a team, how big of an advantage is that relative to their competition? Sorry, and sorry, you're at like... How I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, or, 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 or both. I'm saying both. Like as long as you get the 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 defense you mentioned, and you get let, let's say the goaltending Demko can provide. Like where would that put Vancouver potentially in the Western Conference or the Pacific Division in terms of strength, comparatively comparatively speaking? Well, this is the thing, Sad. I think we all agree that they are going to be notably improved defensively, assuming yeah. the health of Demko, which I think is fair. Uh, like where he's at in that regard, uh, assuming that they, you know, seeing the changes on defense, um, we'll see who's in the lineup tonight, whether Susie's even an option, but the fact he may even be considered or was considered at any point today is a positive when you consider how awkward that looks when he went down on Friday night. Um, there is still an element to wait and see because we know they're going to be better. What I don't know is whether that's going to be enough, right? Like that's the... yeah. That's the million-dollar question, right? If I had that answer, I'd be, you know, I'd be calling the sports books right now. Um, and, and I just don't know because I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Calgary, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I obviously Vegas looked great last night. Um, how much of how Seattle looked was about the opponent or the possibility of regression? I'm not sure. I think it's probably more about the opponent in Vegas. We know what the Oilers are. I think we know what the Kings are going to be, but they have questions in goal. And, and that's the thing. Like, in some ways, you could, make, you could flip this argument on its ear and say, and I would never, I would never say this because I've been banging on the defensive drum for years and how yeah. you're never going to do anything playing fire wagon hockey. But you, you may be able to say, like, hey, like if we have this great goaltender, 
why do we need to batten down the hatches and insulate him? Let's open it up a little bit. Like, if you're the Los Angeles Kings, you absolutely need to batten down the hatches, based on, and that's why they feel they can go that way in goal. Um, so you could, you could maybe make the flip side argument that, hey, like, making life easy on Demko, um, are you playing to your strength of having an elite goaltender? But I think we've seen enough over the years that it doesn't matter how good your goaltender is. If you give up wide open chances, A, his, the likelihood he makes it through a season is slim if he's you know fully extended and defending backdoor tap-ins all the time. And there's only so much a goaltender can do. And so um, they're better. He's better. It gives them a chance where that grades out compared to the rest of the conference. Like, I know it sounds vanilla, but, man, so much of this is just – I'm I'm really eager to see. Like, it's a hell of a test tonight. It's a hell of a test on Saturday. It's a tough way to start the season. And I'm really eager to see whether they're up for it against – to start with the Edmonton Oilers here in the next couple of games. Yeah, and I, I think the PK is – you know, the PK might get scored on a bunch in these next couple of games, Woodley, and, and you know, I – we can't really view that as, uh, oh, here we go again kind of thing, right? Uh, from what we saw in the preseason, I was really encouraged as to just how well drilled they were uh, when, when they went about killing penalties. Would they allow one goal after the Calgary game on, on the PK? It was, it was promising, to say the least. Yeah, I know. And, 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 you know, like, listen, your goalie's going to have to make some saves. Yeah. Right? Like, I think of the Calgary game, and it wasn't even on the PK. Like, the one he made coming left to right. On, on Kadri on look, what looked like a backdoor. Like, the ability to sort of not stay busy, and this is going to be an adjustment for Demko, to not be busy. So maybe only see 17, 18 shots a night, would still come up with big saves in those tough moments. And there might be more of that in the PK. They certainly probably will be in these first couple of games because, you know, as you alluded to, the Oilers not just the best power, power play in the league, but the best power play in the history of power plays being measured in the league. Like, that's how dynamic they are. And so... Um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we're going to take away team passes, we're going to take away lateral plays, but nobody creates them as dynamically as the Edmonton Oilers. Like, well, Tampa's up there, but there's very few that challenge you on the power play like they do. So you're right, uh, Reach. If it doesn't, you know, if they give up a couple against the Oilers tonight on, on the penalty kill, I don't think, you know, you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You have to recognize what you're up against. And to me, it's more... If you give up a couple, do you go back to the process and stick with it? Or, as we've seen this group do in the past, and I don't think it's individuals so much as the lack of structure presented to them, can they stick with that structure or do they start chasing outside of it and trying to do too much as individuals? Because we've seen in the past, like once one guy goes out of position, and Talkett talked about this in the preseason, what he liked is when they had that one mistake, everybody else didn't try and go running around to make up for it. They stayed with what they were supposed to do, and that's what you want to see, and that will be the challenge. If the Oilers open you up, does everybody start running around, or can you pull that structure back in? If one guy gets pulled out of his spot, does everybody go with him, or does everybody else stay where they are and you sort of maintain some of that, again, the word we've grown tired of hearing here in Vancouver, but it's been lacking for so long, that structure that allows Demko to you know, pick his poison, to, to narrow in on one or two things, as opposed to having to worry about all five guys on the edge. Uh, before we let you go, uh, is Casey DeSmith ever going to get new uh, new Canucks pads? Or <laughs> he had him, uh, he had him on the bench. On the come on, he had him on the bench 
in the preseason okay. against Calgary on Friday. He's had them in practice. I'm actually showing up for practices now that the season started. So I saw them. To no one's surprise, the outer edges and majority of them are white. Thank you, Ian Clark, for your rules. Um, but there's a nice <laughs> little blue and green mix in there. He's got a new mask and a little sort of two-tone green on one side, blue on the other, and ghosted in the background. There's some killer whales on one side, some bears on the other, a little West Coast theme. So the goalies are getting – they're upping their style game, kind of like Sat when he's on TV. You've got to maintain <laughs> that high level of style. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah, do uh, our best. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, we'll see you at the rink. There is uh, Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine. At Kevin is in goal on Twitter and also find his work at NHL.com. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. We're here at BC Kitchen. We're uh, at Park Casino. We're about to put in our order to get a few, uh, a little dinner in before we head over to the rink here, Sat. And that's uh, pretty much what we hope some of you will be doing as well. We do still have $50 gift cards to give away all you got to do is answer a trivia question. Who is my favorite Canuck who's on Dan the current Re- roster? On yeah. the current roster. Who's Dan Riccio's favorite Canuck on the current roster? You get that right, and uh, you get a $50 gift card. And, you know, at the BC Kitchen, on the game day menu as well, there's yeah. already 15% off your food bill when you show your Canucks tickets if you're going to the game. So if you're going to the game, you come, you get 15% off, you might win a GC. Like, it's yeah. not too bad. I am not at all surprised to see how many uh, Canucks jerseys are already in here pre-gaming before they head to... The game tonight at Rogers Arena, just one block away. It is the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. There is a Canucks corner just by the center bar where I may have had a few adult beverages over the last number of years. It's a great spot, whether you're going for game night or otherwise. Park Casino is absolutely an awesome place to be ahead of and after each and every Vancouver Canucks game. All right, coming up, overrated or underrated here on Canucks Central. We'll get into some of your subjects, and we have some special season opener ones as well, like maybe Eric Carlson. I think that would be one we have to get to after last night's Pittsburgh performance. Tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casillero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend podcast or contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football match at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casillero del Diablo available available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasilleroManchester.com. You are listening to Canuck Central.